Portland Street Response is a brand new organization working together in Northeast Portland to lighten the load of the PPD and help those experiencing homelessness and mental emergencies. This new program is looking to follow in the successful footsteps of similar programs happening around the country. Join me as I talk with Robin Burrick and Britt Urban of Portland Street Response on this episode of Times Like Now. Hello, Robin and Britt. Thank you for joining me today. Yes, thank you so much for having us. Hi, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So Portland Street Response is a brand new program on the streets in Portland. When did this come about? When was its official date? And what was the inspiration? What brought this to Portland? This program has actually been in, in progress for the last, oh gosh, two years, since 2019. Uh, it came about because in 2019, the Oregonian had published an article that had cited that 52% of the arrests by police were homeless-related individuals for low-level crimes and misdemeanors. And about, you know, the homeless population makes up about 3% of the total city's population. So it's a huge disproportionate impact to the homeless community. And so um, Street Roots, which is a newspaper street vendor and homelessness advocate here in the city of Portland, um, <clears throat> saw that report. It was also, the findings were confirmed by the city auditor. And they decided, you know, Cahoots is right in our backyard. They've been operating in Eugene and Springfield for the last 30 years. It's this alternative police model and a mobile crisis unit. Um, and so Street Roots really advocated for something similar to be set up here in Portland. And so Street Roots published an article. It gained a lot of momentum. We had Commissioner Hardesty at the time who had just taken office in 2019. That has been a long time uh, police reform adv advocate and activist. And she really just took it and ran with it. And so. Uh, this program actually went before council for approval in November of 2019. It passed unanimously by city council. And we have spent um, about just a little over a year and a half since then trying to put the, the program into place. And we launched on Tuesday, February 16th. So we've been in operation now for two weeks and we're so excited. It's been going really well. That's great to hear. Uh, that is uh, Robin, you're the program manager for this. How did you get involved and when? So I actually have a background in mental health. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm dual licensed in Oklahoma and Oregon. And I was actually working for the fire department, oddly enough, for the last three years. Um, I had sort of made this uh, career transition. I was supervising the data analytics team for Portland Fire and Rescue when this project came around. I also have a background in project management, so just some of my diverse skill sets kind of came together and I ended up becoming sort of the lead project manager from the fire side as this program um, was being designed. And I, I just wound up, it just seemed like a natural fit for both my mental health background, my project management skill set uh, led me to this role of being the program manager and I'm so honored and humbled to be in this position right now. I'm really glad to see this is is happening in Portland. I know Denver has recently had some great success with their program. And of course, the you mentioned Cahoots. That's a, a program in Eugene, Oregon. Um, again, this is removing stresses and uh, workforce from the police, keeping them able to really fight real crimes and and uh, let a more social uh, a social 
force of sorts work with the homeless and work with those on mental emergencies uh, out on the streets. And Britt Urban is a street team member with Portland Street Response. Britt, tell me a little bit about what you do each night, uh, Monday through Friday, I believe it's just on the weeks now, and just in Lent's neighborhood at this point. I hope it does grow over, over uh, given some time. Britt, tell me a little bit about what you do on these nightly uh, patrols, would you call it? Or just, uh, are you walking? Uh, go into that. Uh, so we're actually, we our current hours are actually just during the daytime, um, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And we plan to expand that um, in the next, in the coming six, six months or so. Um, but we are actually dispatched through the emergency and non-emergency system. Um, so calls that come in, um, if someone is, calling in because they're concerned about a community member or someone's in distress, that kind of thing. Those kind of calls would come in through dispatch. And then we are on the radio, uh, just the same system actually through the fire department. Um, and we are dispatched to those calls. So we're kind of, we're, we are kind of driving around the, the, the Lentz neighborhood as well, but kind of waiting on calls through the dispatch system. And, and so, yeah, Tremaine uh, Clayton is my partner. He's a firefighter paramedic, and we are teamed up and respond to those calls together. So whether it's a med there's a medical component or mental health, we, we go together and uh, work with individuals that may be experiencing the crisis. What are some of the kinds of calls that you receive on a, on a night? Um, so currently, you know, we've only been in operation for two weeks, but so far, a lot of what we're seeing is people, uh, a lot of who we're working with are people living on the streets um, who may be experiencing, um, you know, a mental health um, crisis of sorts. And, and so we're responding, um, kind of assessing their needs, assessing what may be going on mentally, and then helping get them connected to ongoing services. So in addition to myself and Tremaine, we have two community health workers on our team. So if we get to a situation and determine um, that this person might need additional resources, we can call one of our community health workers out to the scene or refer them at a later date to work with the person and get them connected to housing, to mental health services, substance use services, that kind of thing. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead, please. No, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, I guess in the past, this kind of thing would have been handled by the police and the police don't always take the best uh, angle on these things. Um, so that's why, that's why you're here. What are some of the challenges that individually and as a Portland street response, uh, as a new organization, what are some of the challenges that you're finding uh, from the community, from the city, from, um, you know, out on the streets, what are, what, what's going on? What, what's been a challenge for you so far? I mean, I think one of the main challenges is going to be um, kind of lack of resources in the community. Um, as far as, you know, there are, there are resources, but there may be a really long waiting list to get into housing. Um, there may not be an adequate uh, affordable housing. Um, there's there's a lot of kind of systemic barriers to get to getting people into housing situations as well. So there there's a lot that as as a crisis response team we're not going to be able to to kind of solve those issues. So 
getting people into immediate housing or getting them connected um, quick as quickly as they might like has has already been been an issue. Um, so that's something that we're going to have to work with our community partners on on collaborating and, and figuring out. And then at the 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 bigger the higher level, you know, that's making some policy changes and that kind of thing. One of the things that we really hope to accomplish is we, we know that there's a lack of infrastructure in place for housing and for mental health treatment here in Oregon. Oregon is, you know, at the bottom, um, one of the dead last in terms of mental health and, and how we're able to provide and care for individuals who need those services. So our program, everybody knows the system is broken, but what our program hopes to achieve this year is to actually document that and collect the data so that we can actually see where the gaps exist and what the barriers are. And then at the end of the year, we'll report that to council um, and let them know this is where the greatest need is that's gonna impact at least the people that we serve. And then I think, you know, city, the city is not traditionally in the business of providing mental health treatment. It, it doesn't, that's usually the county's job, however, um, I think that there's a growing interest from city council to really think about what is the, the city's role in building out this infrastructure and partnering more with the county and with other providers, external providers as well. So my hope is at the end of the year when we can present the data and say, here's where the barriers were, here's where the gaps and services are, um, that, that, will, that will engage council in more of those conversations to think about how we start funding some of that. How does um, housing happen in, in let's say in Eugene or in other communities is it on a city basis in say in Eugene with cahoots or in in Denver or in other cities around the country that Portland might I don't know learn from or look towards I I actually think the whole state of Oregon is hurting when it comes to housing we have um, a severe lack of affordable housing here and you know, I've talked to some smaller communities here in Oregon as well um, like Brookings, Oregon, for instance, they don't they don't even have a homeless shelter, right? And yet they have a homeless population. So um, I can't speak to the specifics of Eugene and what they're facing, but I, I can tell you that from my conversations, everybody's hurting a little bit. Um, and so yeah, I think I think we're all in the same boat. Some of the um, things that I've seen here in Skagit Valley, where I live now. Habitat for Humanity has been building homes in this area because, of course, there is a lack of affordable housing here as well as there is all across the country. Habitat for Humanity has been building homes for, for, uh, for people in this area, been going very well. Is there a situation like that in Portland that you know of? I mean, is there, is there homes being built or is there somebody doing something to get people off the streets? I think there's a lot of little initiatives right now. The city is looking at rezoning and looking at alternative forms of shelters. And that's that's going to be going before council here very shortly, looking at using tiny homes and creating villages, um, also looking at dedicated parking lots and using that um, for, for campsites. Um, so there are different initiatives for long-term housing though, like uh, Homes for Humanity that you're speaking of. I don't know what level of engagement they have here in Portland specifically, but I do know that they're a nationwide program. So I wouldn't at all be surprised if they're here in Portland and, and doing those types of initiatives. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a lot of conversation in, in COVID has really opened this up because before I believe the city was really focused on 
let's focus on those long-term permanent housing solutions. Um, but now they're realizing that there needs to be equal emphasis on those short-term housing shelters as well um, to, to account for, especially the growing number of homeless population that we're seeing in response to the COVID crisis and, and perhaps the soon to be you know, eviction rate that will probably escalate if once the moratorium expires, so. Right, that's a, a very real and very frightening uh, window to be looking through. I can I can see that coming down the road as well as many uh, can as well. I I hope somebody's thinking of how to deal with that. I know the tiny home uh, projects in Portland have been a success. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the Women's Village in uh, in Kent in is that in, yeah I think it's in Kent um, as well as others. Is that project or those projects still happening? I've been out of Portland for a little while. Is that expanding the success that they had there? The, the are you speaking of the tiny homes specifically? Yes, yes. yes yeah, I, I think there is definitely talk about expanding those programs. Um, I have heard through the grapevine that they have been pretty successful, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, the, the cure for homelessness is jobs and, mm-hmm. and homes. Um, everything else is, is kind of putting a, a finger in the dam or a Band-Aid on a, on a situation that we've all known of for many, many years, and it has only increased and grown. Um, Britt, what is your background, and how did you get into, into the Portland Street Response? Um, so I'm a, I'm a clinical social worker, uh, been, a, been in the field for about uh, more than 12 years. Um, I've worked in uh, the mental health field and domestic violence, sexual assault intervention. Um, and then most recently, um, I was working for another uh, crisis, mental health mobile crisis team in the area. Um, so doing really similar work to what I'm doing now. Um, we would receive calls through the local crisis line um, from community members, from hospital, schools, law enforcement, and go out and meet, meet with individuals in crisis, um, helping de-escalate situations, helping people's safety plan if they're having suicidal thoughts, helping people get to the different resources that they need, that kind of thing. So it felt like a kind of natural progression to move into this role when I, when I found out about the program. Do you collaborate with um, with others? You mentioned the fire department is is out there uh, is out there with you responding to these calls. Any other organizations or groups in the area that are a part of this? We so we are our program is actually embedded within Portland Fire and Rescue, and okay. of course there will be times, even though we are an alternative to police response. There may be circumstances in which police would have to respond. I know with cahoots, it's like less than 1%, but there's always that possibility. Um, but even more so, um, we, we are partnering with Street Roots and their ambassador program. It's, it's an outreach program uh, with individuals with lived experience. And, uh, they're either currently homeless or have been homeless in their life. And what they've, they've done and what's been so helpful is they've help kind of go into the Lens neighborhood and, and have spoken to a number of homeless camps, just kind of preparing them and educating them about our services, letting them know that we're coming. Um, and then they'll also be available. So if we, we do end up having a call with a homeless individual, the ambassadors could always be connected to that individual and do some follow-up as well. So it's just an extension some of somewhat of what our community health workers are able to offer, but this would be 
um, a program that is specific to uh, with lived experience with the homeless community and certainly a really valuable resource like we're so fortunate to have them. The uh, Dignity Village, for instance, and Right to Dream, those villages, um, do you find those things to be a positive thing uh, and helpful, or, or is there any negatives to, those, to that kind of living situation? I mean, they're in close quarters, and I think especially during COVID, this might be especially challenged, but how are the, 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 the villages or the cities, tent cities, responding to COVID, and, and how are they getting along lately? Um, I haven't had much interaction with, with those two programs. Um, I, I really can't speak one way or the other about um, how they're, they're dealing with COVID and, and how that's working. So. Sure. I, I guess, I guess uh, I'm inquiring um, from the healthcare standpoint mm-hmm. of, of COVID. Do you know, maybe just to, not professionally, but just as, a, as an individual, how are these small tent cities, are, are, are the are the care workers or social workers bringing masks to them? Are they, you know, it, it, how are the yeah, homeless absolutely. treated and absolutely. taken care of? We, we have a number of outreach groups that are reaching out with hygiene kits and, um, and, you know, we have Portland street medicine as well, which goes out and does a lot of um, wonderful work medically to both educate and check on people. Um, and then of course the city has invested in, in resources as well. Um, and outreach to go out to, to these groups as well. So, yeah, I would say um, a lot of attention has been what has been um, put out there to assist with COVID-related um, issues concerning the homeless population that might be in close quarters. Certainly, yeah. Is this program being funded by the fire department? Is this being funded by the city, or how is this coming about? Our program's actually funded through the general fund. We, the city council had initially uh, approved us for a $500,000 budget when, when we first got passed in November 2019. After the George Floyd killing May 25th, there was a lot of uprising and social protests here in Portland and um, a lot of talk about defunding the police. And Commissioner Joanne Hardesty really sort of led this call to um, shut down a, a particular program within police. It was, I can't remember the exact name of it. It was like gun violence. TVRT. Yeah. TVRT and, and use that money instead and divert it um, over to Portland Street Response. So in, Jul- in June of two, 2020, um, our budget got bolstered from 500,000 to 4.8 million with the with the ongoing promise that that would be allocated to us each year so um that's coming still from the general fund but it was certainly um part of police's budget within the general fund yeah i can see this happening in other communities i've heard of um something like this starting up in ithaca new york i read about recently um and i think this will be a a trend that uh, we'd all like to see happen um I heard a while ago, not, not, you know, not every problem is, requires a, a gun and a badge and uh, not every problem is a, is a nail that needs a hammer. And um, I'm glad you guys are out there. You folks are out there talking to people on the streets. I'm, sometimes that's just, just what a homeless person or, a, you know, a mental situation needs is just some clear, you know, c- communication and a, and a caring uh, person behind 
their mask <laughs> that they're wearing and, and not behind uh, and not behind a gun. The the police uh, have baggage that they bring to these situations, and it's not always a a good outcome as we've seen. And uh, well, and I I think when we look at the the call data that's coming into nine one one, it has evolved over time, and more and more of the calls are not. There's no crime in progress. There's no medical emergency that's happening, right? And they're they're increasingly becoming more and more mental health related. There's this underserved population of 911 calls that we're getting the wrong response sent to them. You don't need police or fire to go to some of these calls. And so it's, I mean, it's amazing. You know, first a new first responder system doesn't get created every day. That's a pretty unique circumstance. You know, police and fire were established here in Portland about 150 years ago. So for us to finally be adapting to the times and going, oh, you know, maybe it is time for a different type of first responder to to let's look at the data. What is the data telling us? What is the right resource to um, send to these calls? That's pretty significant. And I mean, even if you look at cahoots they're taking on about 17% of the calls that come into their 911 and non-emergency line. That's a pretty sizable number of calls, a percentage of calls that are not really appropriate for police or fire. So for them, that's like 22,000 calls and that's a year. So um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's actually long overdue that this type of program actually comes into play. And um, I'm just, it's great to be a part of this. It's, I think we're making history here. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel the same. Um, what are some of the, I guess, growth that you would like to see or that you maybe you know is coming for your program, uh, other neighborhoods, uh, mm-hmm. more staff, things like that? What can you tell me about the future? Yeah, well, we're just two weeks into our pilot. So a lot will be determined as we carry out this pilot over the next year. Um, that will help us determine what the scale of this should look like. What is the percentage of calls that we can take um, that come in from our 911 and non-emergency dispatch center? But citywide, once we, we expand citywide, which I anticipate will happen in spring of next year, 2022, um, it looks as though from our conversations with the Bureau of Emergency Communications, we call them BOIC, that's our 911 dispatch center, It looks as though we will be able to expand citywide at once rather than having to phase it across neighborhoods. So um, that's definitely a really exciting um, development that we didn't think at one point we thought we would have to phase out neighborhood by neighborhood. So the ability for us to just go ahead and turn on the city all at once would be great. Now, granted, we will have to scale up and we can't necessarily hire all of those employees at once. So there still may be longer wait times um, as we go and respond citywide, but we'll definitely try to scale up as quickly and as responsibly as we can in, in 2022. And so all of that will be explored over this, this coming year. Yes, I can imagine your percentage of calls to 911 being a little bit higher than 17% in the Portland metro area um so yeah you're gonna you're gonna need a team uh, a much larger yes. team yes. um and that's exciting i i'm really glad this is having uh, having this progress uh come so early is going to be great for the city and you know a benefit to the police as well in the long run um, i think that's a really important point that you make that there's there's, um, you know, the benefit that the community members get by having a more appropriate responder 
But there's also a benefit that comes to both police and fire as well. And that is that they're able to really get back to what their core missions are, which is to respond to crimes um, or to respond to medical emergencies or to fires, right? And so many of these um, lower acuity type calls really were scope creep for what their missions were. And so um, I think that there has been actually a lot of buy-in from both police and fire for this type of program because it, it does allow them to, to focus on the appropriate types of calls that are intended for them. Where are, and what are some of the resources that you send people to when you have somebody uh, that you are encountered, uh, somebody you called on, uh, where do you send people to in Portland? I don't think we've had to send anybody anywhere just yet, but we we have talked had talks with Cascadia Behavioral Health. They have um, a walk-in clinic. They also have you know there's some uh, Unity has um, some inpatient beds available. We've talked to Transition Projects about their shelter space. We've talked to Central City Concern about their detox center and some of their services. There are actually quite a few providers. It's just that everybody is stretched so thin, right? The demand is exceeding the capacity. And so, um, yeah, we'll be tracking all of that. We'll be tracking how long it takes to get someone into a referral and who we're making those referrals to. So it'll be really interesting to see at the end of the year what our data presents to us. But one of our community health workers, Heike, was talking to me earlier, actually, she's had already some success. She's, she's been working with one woman that we met um, who was uh, living on the streets and she's already working. I actually don't know the name of the, the provider she's working with, but um, having success in getting her into some stable long-term housing. So um, we're so lucky to have our community health workers who are very familiar with the community resources here. Um, so we, Tremaine and I can go out and meet with someone in crisis and then get them connected to our community health workers who are who are able to, to do that kind of uh, networking but with the, the providers that they're very connected to. Where would people find more information about this program online, let's say? They can go to portland.gov slash street response. And uh, we have a frequently asked questions link up there as well. So if they, they wanna look through that, I highly recommend it. We also have social media accounts. We're on Twitter and Facebook. And you can see all kinds of information. In addition to that, we'll be going and making a six-month update to City Council and a 12-month update to City Council. So in July and then in February of next year, um, if people want to watch the live sessions, they'll be able to see um, some of our report outs. And Portland State University, who we've partnered with for program evaluation, will also be uh, sharing some of their findings as well. Um, in addition to that, we hope to, I'm in the process of hiring an analyst so that we can start posting with some data and findings about our program. So how many calls we're going on, the types of calls, how long it takes for us to get there, how, what's our average you know, on-scene time. Uh, all of that kind of data will be available on our website at portland.gov slash street response. Excellent. I'm really, really pleased to talk with you both today, Robin Burbeck and Britt Urban of Portland Street Response. Thank you so much for doing what you do. And uh, maybe in a year from now, I'll, I'll look you up and, and we'll have another conversation about how it's going. Thanks for having us. Good day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Times Like Now. Special thanks to the letter J, Cody Robertson, for original music. I can be reached, Trevor, at 
timeslikenow.com. And please do listen to more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Times Like Now.